Have you ever considered the impact your work environment has on your health and your productivity? Enter Uplift Desk, a revolutionary standing desk designed to transform the way you work. And that's just the beginning of what Uplift Desk has to offer. With an emphasis on ergonomics and customization, Uplift Desk offers a solution that caters to the dynamic needs of modern professionals. Whether you're coding, designing, or podcasting, like I am right now, the flexibility to switch between sitting and standing can significantly enhance your focus and vitality. What makes Uplift Desk stand out is not just their commitment to quality and innovation, but also their dedication to creating a healthier workspace. With options to customize from over 100 desktop materials and a plethora of accessories, Uplift Desk ensures that your work setup is uniquely yours, promoting better posture and movement throughout the day. And here's an offer to get you started on a healthier work journey starting today. Go to upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting for 5% off your order. That's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting to get 5% off your entire order. Your health, your productivity, your future self will thank you. Again, that's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting and get 5% off your entire order today. Have you ever had that heart-stopping moment when you realized you forgot the password to a critical account? I have, and that's exactly why I switched to 1Password years ago, and honestly, it's been a game-changer. I can't do without 1Password, and I know that if you give it a try, you will feel the same way. And when you support our sponsors, then you support the show. So I encourage you to check out what 1Password has to offer One of the things 1Password has to offer is it combines top-tier security with an award-winning design, making password management a breeze for anyone, anywhere. From the moment I started using 1Password, I said goodbye to the days of resetting passwords and worrying about security breaches. You see, 1Password isn't just about convenience. It's about saving you from the real cost of data breaches and the daily time suck of password resets. It works seamlessly across all your devices, filling in passwords for you so that you can sign in with a click. And the best part, all you need to do is remember one strong password that protects everything else. I've been using 1Password for as long as I can remember. My family is using it. Everyone in this household has bought in. It's, again, a game changer. It's completely transformed how I handle my digital security and my family feels the same way. We've gotten away from using the same passwords again and again and again, or sticky note reminders or having that notebook that says passwords I must remember. Plus, 1Password is trusted by millions, including giants like IBM and Slack. With 1Password, my digital life and my family's digital life is not only more secure, but infinitely simpler. And look, if you've ever been frustrated by a family member constantly asking for passwords, 1Password's secure sharing has been a total relationship saver for me. It's so secure that the Associated Press relies on it in high-risk areas, which means it's more than capable of keeping your digital life safe and streamlined. So why not make the switch? Protect yourself, your family, and your business with 1Password. It's the simple and secure way to manage your digital life. And right now, listeners of A Productive Conversation get a free two-week trial at onepasswordcom slash productive convo. 
That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash productive convo. Again, onepassword.com slash productive convo. Check out one password. I know you'll fall in love with it like my whole family has. Again, that's onepassword.com slash productive convo for two free weeks. Check it out today. This episode of the Productivity Podcast is brought to you by the UCI Division of Continuing Education. Established in 1962, the UCI Division of Continuing Education has been offering education for adult learners in Orange County for over half a century. And you don't even have to live in Orange County now to take advantage of what UCI Division of Continuing Education has to offer. You can go to ce.uci.edu slash podcast to learn more or stick around during this episode because I'll chat them up a bit more. But for now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Vardy. And this week on the show, I'm joined by Carl Honore. Now, I haven't talked to him since I was doing my old productivity parody stuff. And it was a real treat to be able to talk with him. Of course, he's the author of uh, several books, including In Praise of Slow or In Praise of Slowness, depending on where you live, and The Slow Fix. And his new book is called Boulder, Making the Most of Our Longer Lives. Carl's an award-winning writer whose works appeared in The Economist, Observer, Houston Chronicle, National Post, and Time. His best-selling books on slowing down uh, have been published in 34 languages, and his TED Talk on slowness has been viewed 2.7 million times. His latest book, which I just mentioned, is about aging. So there is a slowness component to it. We talk about that. We talk about aging and maybe the stigma around it, why he chose to write about this, maybe the connection between his previous works and this work, so much more. Here's my conversation with fellow Canadian and the author of Boulder, Carl Honore, here on the Productivityist podcast. I'd like to welcome Carl Honore to the Productivityist podcast. Carl, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Good to be here. So it's been, we were just chatting before we jumped on to the recording, and it's been over 10 years, it looks like, since we spoke. And that back in my old days of doing productivity parody. So this is going to be a bit different. Not that you'd remember what we talked about uh, 10 years ago, uh, although I, I imagine it was probably me and my old persona saying, What's the point of going slow? I don't understand. It would have been all that. Uh, but this time, we're going to talk about um, your new book, Boulder, Making the Most of Our Longer Lives. What's what, what's happened in the 10 years? Let's catch up right now. What's happened in the 10 years since we last spoke? 10 years? <laughs> I'm just spooling back to 2008. I suppose by 2008, I'd only just thought well, my second book was coming out then. My first book, of course, was in praise of slow, the kind of foundation te- text of the slow movement. But then after that, I wrote a book called Under Pressure, which came out in 2008 about children, parenting, education. And then in, goodness me, 2013, The Slow Fix, my third book. So that completed what I think of as my slow trilogy of books. And over those years, I've been, you know, as well as writing books, I've been making radio shows and speaking all around the world and doing TV. And uh, I made a TV show in Australia called Frantic Family Rescue. <laughs> so I've you know, all kinds of different ways of pushing forward the idea that faster isn't always better and that slowness has a role to play in the 21st century. That's the horse I've been riding for the last, well, since 2004, my first book, Praise the Slow, came out. So um, yeah, now now a new chapter is opening up, which is, as you said in your intro, is my new book, Boulder, which is uh, the beginnings perhaps of a new trilogy, but certainly a new start. 
So let's 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 dive into that a bit because there is definitely a connection between your last, you know, the, the books that brought you to this 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 point. I mean, the idea of of slowing down and you know being being more deliberate, you know, and 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 now we're we're talking about you know aging, right? Like the idea of of you know we're going to be living longer. It's my my grandmother as of this recording, she just, she passed away. I think what two three weeks ago now. Um, and she was a, going on 101 years old. So, and her sister's still alive, and she's 99. So, you know, years, even year, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, that like that that concept was even more rare, right? We are living longer. What led you down to this path of saying, you know, I want now that I've explored this, I want to kind of explore our like our lifespan and and how we can make the most of of our of our longer lives. Well, my my books always start from a moment of personal epiphany or a wake-up call. And the same applies for this, this new book, Boulder. And my, my wake-up call came when I was at a hockey tournament, a ball hockey tournament. I play ball hockey. I live in London, but I still keep up the Canadian tradition of playing ball hockey. <laughs> I was at a ball hockey tournament up in the north of England at a kind of hard scrabble, blue-collar town. And I was, you know, I was captaining my team. I was 48 years old at the time, and I was playing well. We were in the quarterfinals, and I scored a goal off a face-off, and I was floating on air. And you know, we got into the semifinals and I went into the dressing room and one of the organizers of the tournament was flicking through player profiles, calling out, you know, who, 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 who was, you know, he's, he discovered that, you know, this youngest guy at the tournament was 16 and someone said, well, who's the oldest? And it turned out it was me. And it was one of those moments, almost like an out of body experience, right? Mm-hmm. Suddenly just that knowledge that I was the oldest player out of whatever it was, 240 guys playing there. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I, 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 know I, you know, I went back and played the semifinal. Like I didn't play as well. We got knocked out. And on the way back home to London on the train, I just began to think about why the number meant so much to me. Why, it, why it shook me to my core, thinking that I was old. I, I think you know, it all comes comes to all of us, doesn't it? In the end, at some point, that feeling that you're suddenly old. And I began just to wonder why I felt as bad as I did about my age, and what it meant, and should I be feeling worse? And as I began to unpeel my own feelings and look at the bigger picture of the culture we're in, it became clear to me that we have created a cult of youth, right? I mean, we all know that. In, in the same way as in my earlier work, I was taking on the cult of speed. I guess with the new book, what I'm doing is taking on the cult of youth. And I, I think the flip side of this cult of youth is that we've created a chamber of horrors view of aging so that the, the culture is constantly telling us that from the age of whatever it is, 30, 35, you know, finished at 40, whatever, wherever the start line is, from then on, it's just an endless spiral downwards of decline to dementia, depression, decrepitude, digital ineptness, you know, all the things nobody wants to be. And I guess I had bought into that narrative a little bit, uh, quite a lot, I think probably is the case. And I guess I, what I wanted to do with Boulder was to to work out whether it was true, you know, whether it really was all bad news waiting for me down the track. And uh, the good news is that I discovered that it's not, right? That there's a very good news to tell about growing older. And that in fact, here we are in the early 21st century, we are entering a golden age of aging. Let's 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 explore that a bit because I think one of the things that that I found, and I was watching um I was watching uh, Bill Maher talk about Stan Lee and comic books and the, rebu- the the just the the sheer outrage that people had adults had 
about him kind of uh, mocking comic books and not calling them real literature. And then his rebuttal was basically him doubling down on it and saying, you know, like as um, you know, when if you're in your 40s, as I am, and you're reading comic books, uh, grow up, don't be so childish. And the idea of being childish, uh, it, it comes up as, as you get older, you're like, oh, don't be so childish. But I think I'd love to hear your thoughts on that is that the idea of like, Hold, either holding on to or exploring things that would otherwise be associated with people that were we, either children or people that are younger, you know, me, me reading Green Lantern comics or watching superhero movies or, you know, doing, a, you know, adventure travel and things like that. Uh, what is this kind of stuff? That, you know, I mean, I've had a chance to go through the book a little bit, but, but can we dive into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that's one of the things that holds out hope for all of us now is that we've, you know, through history and into the early modern period and you know through the 20th century we created a very rigid three-stage life path right so you were locked into this straitjacket where the early years were about education and learning the middle years were about earning and building a family and doing all that and then the third stage was pensioned leisure right mm. and that made sense probably you know through the industrial era when people would finish working in the early 60s and then probably be dead a few years later makes no sense in a world where your grandparents you were just talking about there or your aunt are living to 100, right? And so one of the things that's shifting now as the tectonic plates move is that we're moving away from that rigid three-step formula or path to something much more fluid, opening it up so that you can read comics at any age, so that you can start a, a master's degree in your 50s or a family in your 60s or take up kite surfing in your 80s, you know, I, or, or vol become a volunteer in your 20s rather than waiting till you're a, a pensioner. And I think what, what's happening now culturally is that we're throwing all those pieces up in the air and they're coming back down again in a way that gives people the, the wherewithal, the freedom, the permission, the space, the right even to define what their life is going to look like at every stage. So if you want to live a certain way in your 30s, you know, read comics, that's fine, right? And, and I think culturally that's becoming more and more acceptable. I was just at a, just at a, conf, um, a concert, you know, like a, a music festival in, uh, in London a little while ago. It was Paul Simon playing. And, you know, Paul Simon goes back. I remember him when I – and I'm 51 now, so I remember him, you know, Simon and Garfunkel. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously they broke up by the time I was – but I, I used to listen to their stuff. You know, I went along and saw him singing in Hyde Park in London, and it was – you, there were there were kids there from you know teenagers all the way up to you know eighty somethings and I think that's where we're moving now is that I mean just one one example that I think underscores how the the barriers the cultural barriers between the generations are tumbling and how we're flattening things out and opening them up. One example is that Amazon and Netflix now no longer profile their users based on age; they do it based on taste. And I think that's very revealing now. We're moving into an era where what matters not what matters now is not the birth certificate, right? It not matters not is what age you are. What matters is what you watch on Netflix, the books you read, the music that moves you, the food you cook for the people you love, the places you like to travel, the work you do, the politics you espouse. That's what's going to define you, whether you're in your 30s, 40s, 60s, or 80s, not your age. And I think that's that's hugely liberating, right? That's part of the reason I feel so optimistic about where we're going with aging and why I do talk about a golden age of aging is we now have it within our power to design our own way of growing older. And we've got so many levers to pull to do that growing older thing better that um, there's every reason to be upbeat. 
my friend Steve Dotto, uh, and uh, he's a fellow Canadian as well. Uh, he's been exploring, uh, and I'll, I'll link to some of this in the show notes as well. But the idea of the, of the of the gray wave, of the idea that you know, I mean, and he's been. I mean, I remember watching him when he was uh, doing the infomercials for the knowledge. Well, not infomercials. He was doing a show for the Knowledge Network. And, uh, you know, his, his Dotto, Dotto Cafe, Dotto, you know, the Dotto show that he had. I don't know if you ever got a chance to see it when uh, you, you've been out of Canada probably longer than the, <laughs> and it may not have been something that you saw. <laughs> but but his, his thought process is, is the idea that, um, you know, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well, is the idea that people who are who would normally finish up their career, right, they're done. Uh all of a sudden they're like, well, now what do I do with my time? Like I'm 60, you know, I'm, I'm in my sixties and my late, late fifties, you know, 55 going into, you know, into quote retirement age. Now, what am I going to do? And, and I know you, you explore a little bit of, of this in the book. I would, you know, as well, the idea of like what the, the opportunities it seems to be are, are to explore like more creative pursuits and, and some of the stuff that, that maybe you were kind of pushed out of um, for at least for the current uh, era is 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 more prevalent than ever before, right? Yeah, I mean, with this demographic bounty <laughs> spreading out before us, uh, you know, people are making more of it, right? And in later, you know, if you're talking about that generation who are now in their 60s and 70s and so on or retired, of course, yeah, they, they've grown up in probably quite high-bound careers, maybe fr- frustrated creative urges. And, and this is a time later on when they've got the freedom and often the financial oomph uh, to go pursue, you know, personal pursuits and do things that light them up rather than the ticking boxes or following whatever career path they felt they had to have. So two things are are intersecting for people in later life in that generation and always will. But let's talk about that particular generation. One is that you've got to a stage where you're a bit more established, you know, you've got the freedom, you can choose to do things. But there's also something that definitely happens with aging Anyway, and this will be the same for my generation when we get to that age and the generation of 30-somethings coming up and the millennials and everybody. And that is that people become more expansive. You know, they become more sort of they, – they start to focus on what's really important to them. And it, part of that is, you know, maybe mortality. You, you realize time's running out and you just let things go that don't light you up and you focus on the things that do. People in later life tend to have fewer relationships, but those relationships that they do have are stronger there's a kind of creativity that gets held up. In some some cases, it seems to be a kind of creativity surge in later life. So there are so many things that will nudge us towards opening new doors in later years. And and I think in some ways, this generation that's in that kind of moment, let's I guess we're probably going to call them baby boomers, right? That's probably who are in there at that cohort who are pushing that door open. You know, they they're embracing it wholeheartedly, right? And and they're going to help keep that door open for the next generation and the generation after it. Ever found yourself deep in a project, your flow state so intense that the world around you just fades away? That's the magic zone where ideas take flight and your work truly comes to life. But what if, in a blink, it could all disappear? Hard drives fail, coffee spills, and yes, even the dreaded accidental delete happens. But fear not, because CrashPlan has your back. Don't wait for disaster to strike. Head over to CrashPlan.com slash TimeCrafting now for a free trial and secure your creations with their limited time buy one, get one offers. Supporting our sponsors means supporting this podcast, so take a moment to check them out. 
CrashPlan is the superhero of cloud-based data protection, specifically designed for people like us who live and breathe their digital creations. CrashPlan ensures that every file, every idea, and every piece of hard work is safely backed up and protected. With CrashPlan Professional, you get unlimited backup for your computers, not servers or cloud apps, just pure essential data protection for PC, Mac, and Linux. This means your business plans, designs, music, and documents are continuously encrypted and updated in their secure cloud without you lifting a finger. Imagine this, your laptop takes a dive during a late night work session. With CrashPlan, it's not a disaster, it's just a minor hiccup. Their service runs quietly in the background, safeguarding every change you make every 15 minutes. And if the worst happens, your files are just a few clicks away from being restored with unlimited version retention acting as your personal time machine. For businesses, CrashPlan's multi-tenant capabilities are a game changer. Buy as many licenses as you need, manage them with ease, and let your team or your IT admin restore data seamlessly, saving precious time and resources. So go to CrashPlan.com slash TimeCrafting now to sign up for a free trial and take advantage of one of their limited buy one, get one offers for a productive conversation listeners. That's CrashPlan.com slash TimeCrafting. Back up better with CrashPlan. Have you ever looked into fasting and thought, I love the benefits, but I can't go days without eating? Well, that's where Prolon comes in, transforming the fasting experience with a plant-based nutrition program that tricks your cells into thinking they're fasting without actually having to stop eating. Developed through decades of research at the University of Southern California Longevity Institute, Prolon is not just another diet, it's a scientifically backed program designed to support your body's natural processes. Now keep in mind, this isn't about cutting out food, it's about providing your body with the right nutrients to enter a fasting state while still eating. The program includes snacks, soups, and beverages, all carefully designed to support healthy blood sugar levels, cardiovascular health, and even reduce abdominal fat. And the convenience? That's unmatched. Everything you need comes in one box delivered right to your doorstep. Thousands of doctors now recommend Prolon for its health benefits, backed by Nobel Prize winning science. So if you're looking for a way to kickstart your health journey with all the benefits of fasting and none of the hunger, Prolon is the answer. And right now, Prolon is offering a Productive Conversation listeners 10% off their five-day nutrition program. Go to prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. That's P-R-O-L-O-N life.com slash timecrafting for this special offer. Again, that's prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. Check it out today. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash 
time crafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. Okay, we're going to take a break from the podcast to talk about our sponsor for this episode, the University of California, Irvine Division of Continuing Education. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of lifelong learning, and the uh, UCI Division of Continuing Education allows you to do that. Uh, UCI Irvine is ranked among the top 50 universities nationally and ranks 10th among all public universities, and that's uh, provided through a, a report through U.S. News and a World Report annual college survey. But you don't have to live in Orange County or live in the United States. You could live anywhere in the world because there are online courses that UCI Division of Continuing Education offer. Uh, there's some flexibility with those, of course, and it's a real immersive online classroom experience because you can collaborate uh, with your peers, right? There's a wide variety of programs uh, from business to IT, healthcare, finance, and, and law. Those programs all available through the UCI Division of Continuing Education. And whether or not you want to, uh, you know, kind of start a new career or, or maybe start a company or just develop a, a, an appreciation of the world around you, uh, no matter where you live, the UCI Division of Continuing Education has the resources needed to support your undertakings, whatever they may be. So you should check out the UCI Division of Education. Do that now. Uh, spring quarter is coming up and registration's open. So just go to ce.uci.edu slash podcast. That's ce.uci.edu slash podcast to learn more. I'd like to thank UCI Division of Continuing Education for sponsoring this episode of the Productivity Podcast. And now, let's get back to the show. So it's funny, uh, I want to talk about technology as well. As we heard some warbling on Skype there, which happens because it's technology, um, technology's got to play a role in this too. The fact that, that you know, I mean, I remember my parents not knowing how to fix the 12, the blinking 12 o'clock on the VCR. <laughs> and now I'm the guy that, you know, understands social media better than a lot of, you know, my, my daughter's, uh, parents, uh, friends, parents out there. Um, technology is definitely something that 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 plays a role in this. Uh, and you talk about this in the book, the idea of you know the I age. Can you can you dig into that a bit and see where does that play in the role of being bolder uh, as you get older? Well, I think technology is a, is a is a gift, you know, for people in later life. I mean, for one thing, it allows you to get out into the world and explore the world, especially if you're really late in life and maybe your body isn't as mobile as it was before. You knew technology gives you wings, right? Whether it's Google travel or, or Google Earth or, or just being in chat forums and all the kind of things you are gaming. And you're finding more and more people, you know, in their 50s, 60s, 70s and, and, and above taking up things like gaming or, or, um, or, or even just, you know, a traditional game like Scrabble that you can play online. But there's, there's a real myth here about uh, older people and technology that somehow it's just, I mean, it's not because older people, because they're older, cannot learn new technology. Often it's just this kind of cultural idea in the ether telling people that they can't learn, that they don't make the effort to learn. But when people do at any age make the effort to learn, they can pick up the technology just as fast as any millennial. One of the things I do in the book is I visit a, a center called C, uh, Senior Planet in New York City. And I go, I went along to, a, to see um, kind of website development class for, for older people. And it was full of people, you know, from their late sixties up to their eighties, you know, they were picking up this website stuff just as fast as, as I would have, or as my daughter would have. Right. And I, you know, I, even in my own family, you know, when my, my mother, who's now, uh, late seventies, 
you know, she comes to stay with us. And I tell you, she's as nimble and dexterous on her iPad as anyone else in this household. And in fact, she probably spends more time looking at screens than her teenage granddaughter. Right. So I think there's a lot of myth out there around technology that that often the myth becomes the reality, becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because people swallow the idea that, you know, whether you're an older person, you think, well, I can't do this because I'm an older person. So what happens? You don't make the effort and it doesn't happen. But if we can bust through those myths and take them down and just say, you know what, people can carry on because, you know, people, people, I guess, you know, that old adage, right? The old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. isn't even true for dogs, right? <laughs> I mean, people can go on learning all kinds of stuff right up until their deathbed. And the same is true for technology. And a big part of what I'm looking at in the book is the, is the paralyzing, stultifying, deadening effect of ageism. That if you have a bad view of aging, if you think growing older is going to mean loss, decline, inability, all that stuff, then it will. It, it will become its own prophecy, right? It will fulfill, fulfill its own prophecy. And that, that's very true with technology, I think, and learning um, that go hand in hand. If, we have, if you believe that you can learn, you will, however old you are. One of the things that that as we've been talking about this, I've been thinking about, especially relations to your to your last books, is the idea that you know, um, getting older, like the fact that we are going to live longer, or or the majority of the population is going to live longer, because there are no guarantees. But the idea of of slowing down uh, plays a role in this, I think, because it you know we live in this culture of like get as much done as you can in as short a time as you can, because that's what people believe productivity is. But I think the, the message that, that Boulder sends um, one of them is listen, you've got more time than you think. So let's not, let's, let's appreciate the moments from pillar to post as opposed to, you know, rushing through youth and then realizing you have, oh, wait, now what am I going to do? Is that something that, that was intentional as you wrote this or was it just a byproduct? I think it was almost like a byproduct because part of me was thinking that I, I was, was going to write a book that wasn't about slowing down. You know, I'd already written three and, and I came at this from the angle of, you know, the hockey a moment of epiphany and stuff. And I wasn't really thinking so much about slowing down. But of course, as I dug and drilled deeper into the ideas and the research and the experience that people have of growing older, it became clear that, that you know, one of the dimensions of what I was going to be talking about would be, would be slowness. Because of course, as you grow older, some things do slow down. You know, you're physically, we become, we have got just less physical speed, less explosive speed. Some of the processing speed in our brains with, you know, short-term memory recall gets a little slower. And, and you know, we just have less energy, generally speaking, than we did in our 20s, you know, when we're in our 50s or 60s and, and, and beyond. And in a culture that preaches faster is better, do more and more, do everything at once, that slowing down can look like failure. It can look like catastrophe. It can look like apocalypse. And I guess in that sense, what I'm saying with Boulder is actually, hang on a minute here, that slowing down can be really good for you. Uh, for one thing, you find that people, as they grow older, um, you know, they get better at being present and in the moment, generally speaking, which is a very, very clearly linked to, you know, happiness, well-being, enjoying things. Uh, people tend to get better uh, socially, you know, so that being able to listen more, uh, more attentive to other people. Um, social acumen generally improves. In fact, there's a link here to productivity, which is that they've shown that in jobs that are based on social skills, productivity improves as we age, right? And I, I think I would argue that part of it is that people are just a little more slow. They're more willing to let the other person speak, to 
to engage in a way that when you're very, very fast, you just lose. You lose those human connections, those those bonds. And I think one of the things you see through my earlier work, which was that when you slow down and you, you're living at the right speed for you and so on, that one of the benefits and payoffs is that you're just happier, right? You're just enjoying your life instead of racing through it. And I see that as well with the research in for Boulder is that when you look at which age cohort reports the highest levels of happiness and satisfaction in life, it's the over 60s, right? <laughs> which again, runs counter to the prevalent cult of youth narrative, which is that you know, you're happiest in your salad days. It's all about being, in fact, people are happier and more contented in life, generally speaking, in later life. So there are all these things that are so counterintuitive that tell such a different story from the one we're always being bombarded with, which is that aging is all about decline and depression and just really sucks. Um, once you dig down in and start looking at the truth, you find out that there's a whole other story to tell. And that story is, is pretty sunny. What are some of the things that you recommend people can do now, no matter what age they are, so they can live bolder? Uh, because we're going to be here longer. And if you want to be here longer, because there are elements that can keep you from from that, what are some of the things that people can embrace? Maybe maybe pick one that you found that during your research with a book that was maybe a bit unconventional or counter counterintuitive that you wouldn't have thought. Um, sure. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, a, a counterintuitive one that I wouldn't have thought would be or that I hadn't occurred that hadn't occurred to me actually mm. was when people say, well, what can I do to age better and help everybody else better is to change the language we use. And that is, I think that's not very often on people's radar, but the language we use to describe whatever it is aging, if it's negative and pejorative, then aging becomes a hard thing to do. So just think of how it's woven into our vernacular that growing older is a bad thing. We talk about senior moments, feeling your age, you know, showing your age, these things that speak of decline, right, of, 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 of dark, darkness and, and, and unhappiness in later life. And I think when you use those words, even if you're using them in jest, self-deprecating, poking fun at yourself, I had a senior moment there. Every time you use a phrase like that, reinforce that narrative that aging bad. And we've already language, race, different ethnic groups, um, different sexual orientations, you know, the language that we use for those. We realize that language affects how we feel. It affects how you see yourself in the world. It affects how you live your life. And so a very big um, step, I think all of us can take check our language, you know, try not to use this negative older life. You know, even one of the things was the, the still syndrome. A little word in there still without even thinking about it. He's still playing hockey in his 50s. She's still running hockey in her 70s. They're still having sex in their 80s. And if you throw a word like that in, what you're saying to yourself around you as you speak is, well, that's a miracle that that person's still doing that. In fact, we should be a, the assumption should be that they go on doing all kinds of things all the way through their lives, right? Whether it's having sex or running a company or kite surfing or, or just looking after you know, a, a next door neighbor who needs help. You know, we can do all of these things. But if we have language that tells us that we can't, then doing them becomes more difficult and problematic. Speaking of language, as we get close to wrapping up, the title Boulder, it's it's funny because it doesn't, you look at the title and bold, the definition of bold uh, is a showing a willingness to take risks, confident and courageous, which again seems uh, language wise, 
not what you would associate with someone getting older. You would be like, you're going to be a bit more, uh, you know, a bit more cautious, a bit more trepidatious, a bit, you know, you're not going to, you're going to feel like you maybe can't do as many things. You won't be as, 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 uh, as risky. When people pick up this book, uh, what's, what's, what's the goal that you want them to get? Because this is the kind of book that, especially because, because <laughs> it, it, it should last with you a long time, because we, I mean, as long as you live, you, there are lessons to be learned here. So what are, what, what's the takeaway, the big takeaway that you want people to get out of this book? Well, I think I'm glad you called attention to the title because in a sense, that title really captures everything. And in fact, it's slightly a play on words because of course it's got the word older in it and then be at the front, right? So it's kind of, you know, be older, but bolder at the same time. And, it's, and I suppose if I had to boil down into a nutshell what the um, book is all about, it's about it's about emboldening people. It's, it's getting people to find that bold side as they approach whatever it is, their next birthday, whether that birthday is 35, 45, 55, you know, or 70 or whatever it is, to, to regard later life, to regard growing older as a process of opening doors rather than closing them. And, and just as a final thought, picking up on this idea that people are less bold in later life, again, that's just not, that's not true. If you look at the uh, stats on uh, global entrepreneurialism, uh, the, the group that's most likely to spot a business idea and then take a punt on turning it into a company are the 60s and overs again, you know, and, and, and in the entrepreneurial space, it's late, it's middle-aged people and older who are setting up the most successful startups. It's not fuel fuel teens eating pizza under their desk at three in the morning, right? Uh, some of them, some of those ones do hit a home run and we hear all about them constantly like the Zuckerbergs, but actually the, the great majority of people who are getting out there boldly, setting up new companies, doing things in the world are actually in later life. We just don't allow that. We don't allow them the visual space. We don't allow that to become part of the conversation we're having about the society we live in. But the more we do, the easier it becomes for people to do it. So, so I guess what's the message? It's, I, let me put it this way. I wish that I had written this book 20 years ago in my 30s because it would have saved me so many years of angst, worry, and dread that were all completely pointless, right, about growing older. I would have, I would have grown older to my age now of 51, feeling much more hopeful and probably a little bit bolder than I have been, you know, if I hadn't had that millstone of ages around my neck. That's what I want to lift people off people's necks and shoulders and give them that, um, that courage to go out and, 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 you know, work out what aging is going to mean for them and to be the best version of it. So I guess what I would say is don't age gracefully, age boldly. Exactly. That we want <laughs> Boulder, let's all grow older and bolder together. Carl, this has been great. Thanks so much for taking the time today to join me on the show. Where can people learn more about you and where can they pick up the book? Uh, they can learn all about me and my books and everything at my website, which is com. Thanks again for joining me today, Carl, on the Productivities Podcast. Thanks, Mike. It's been a pleasure. Big thanks to Carl for joining me on the show this week. You can, of course, go to all the links in the show notes, which will not only lead you to Carl's work, but also to all the other things that we discussed during the proceedings of this episode. I'd like to thank you for uh, listening. And if you want to help me out and help the show out, a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to the podcast is always appreciated. It helps people find the show. It helps my producer, John Polster, and I take a look and see how we can make the show better. It's a win-win all the way around. So if you have a moment, a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts would be greatly appreciated. Super quick to do. 
and it means a lot. It, what also means a lot is subscribing to the show. So if you are listening to this in Apple Podcasts and Overcast and in wherever you are listening to this show, if you just click on the subscribe button, then you're going to get every single episode that is coming from this point forward. And you can also uh, make sure you never, you, know, you can go back and listen to other episodes as well, but you won't miss a single episode. So subscribing to the show is another way that you can kind of show your appreciation for the podcast. I'd, I'd like to thank you for for joining me. Uh, and I'd like to thank my producer, John Polster, for putting the show together. I'd like to thank my production team for getting the show notes and all that stuff sorted. And uh, I'd like to thank Carl for joining me this week on the show as well. That's it for now. I'm Mike Vardy, the host of the Productivity Podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. We'll see you later. <laughs>